0: This morning, we're going to talk about Joseph being an unsung hero because you don't hear a lot about Joseph, especially after Jesus was 12 years old. But we do know that he was an unsung hero in many ways. And We're going to look at that this morning. I want you to think about this for a minute. How many of you have ever heard of a woman named Henrietta Lacks? Anybody? me know who Henrietta Lacks is? Oh, there's one person, a couple people. You know, she was a poor African-American woman who moved from a Virginia tobacco farm to a poor neighborhood in Baltimore, and she tragically died of cervical cancer in 1951. And, um, but without her consent, actually she left five children, by the way, and she was only 31 years old, but without her consent, the tumor tissue was taken out of her and was used for research. And because of the research that was done on her cellular structures of the tumor called HeLa cells, a polio vaccine was discovered and to this day, that same research has been used to help fight AIDS and other cancer patients. Nobody virtually knows a woman like this, Henrietta Lacks, but she was an unsung hero. You know, an unsung hero is is somebody who does great deeds but receives little or no recognition and I want you to know that there are a lot of unsung heroes sitting here this morning. But let's look at Joseph, who I believe was an unsung hero. And we're going to look at this story and we're going to do what we did last week. We're going to walk through this a little bit and think through and speculate a little bit as to what Joseph may have been thinking. I thought the video was probably fairly accurate. But let's read. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, we remember from last week, this pledge was a covenant that was made between two people that was much stronger than today's engagement process. Back then, that pledge really basically meant that we were covenantally bound together and it would take actually a divorce to actually nullify that particular agreement that was made. So this was a very strong covenant between the two of them that had been made. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband was a righteous man, I want to stop right there. What we're saying here is that he wasn't a perfect man, but he was a kind of guy that wanted to do things the right way. Integrity was a huge issue with him. He was a law abiding person, not only a law abiding person to the government, but a law abiding person to the Old Testament scriptures and Levitical law. And so he was a righteous man. He was a guy that really wanted to do the right thing in his life. And he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now he had two decisions that he had to make. Now this was really hard because think about this: this guy was probably a teenager as well. He wasn't very old. And his girlfriend comes to him. His fiance comes to him and says, "I'm pregnant." And obviously, the first thing that I would feel would be is that I would feel terribly betrayed. I'd feel like, "What? Are you kidding me? I thought we had an agreement. I thought we had a covenant. I thought I thought we were bound together, if you will. And you tell me you're pregnant. Are you serious?" I would be really upset. And Joseph clearly was upset, but he wanted to do the right thing because he was a righteous man. So he had two choices. According to the Old Testament law, he could do one of two things. He could have her publicly disgraced and killed for being unfaithful to him. Or he could put her away, what they say, privately or give her a certificate of divorce and try to move on without creating a lot of hoopla or press. And Joseph, even though he was probably betrayed and frustrated and upset that Mary would have this happen, and and then to give this crazy story about some angel coming to her and telling her that she's going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, you got I mean, this guy must have been absolutely, totally confused and frustrated and didn't know what to do, but he chose to take the high road and divorce her quietly so that she would not be publicly disgraced. I mean, that's a phenomenal decision that he had to make in the midst of not knowing the reality of this immaculate conception. So let's move on. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, in other words, he, he considered it, he took some time to wrestle with the reality of the situation that he had. There was not a knee-jerk reaction to Mary's announcement to him. He had to kind of ponder that, think about it, meditate on it. He considered it, and he said that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, what's interesting here, when you look at Joseph's uh, wife, you realize that God spoke to him often in dreams. In fact, there were three more dreams that he had. It kind of reminds me of Joseph in the Old Testament. So God somehow needed to come alongside of Joseph and explain to him what the reality of the situation was. And so he tells him, hey, look, believe what Mary told you. This child is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. up to that point, Mary was not living with him, but he decides to take Mary into his home. Now, if you know anything about Middle Eastern culture, uh, if you go into uh, Israel or you go into uh, Jordan, uh, families would actually build a home. And the... The patriarch of the family would be on the first floor, and then they would build a second floor, and that would be the son, or perhaps son and daughter-in-law, and then there'd be even a third floor. And you'll notice as you go in through Israel, there's these these uh, stages, and that was sort of this Middle Eastern culture. So, apparently Joseph brought Mary into his family home to take care of her at that point. Okay. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you're to give him to name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, if I were Joseph and I heard that, I would think, what? This kid that I'm supposed to adopt, I'm supposed to be the stepfather to this baby that's going to save people from their sins? Whoa. Verse 22, all this took place to a fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. He said, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to his son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph hears from this angel. And by the way, I skipped a point here that I wanted to make in that he said, Joseph, son of David, which was really interesting here because Joseph was a carpenter, right? He was a blue collar kind of guy in a, in a, in a, in a blue collar uh Town and God appears to him like this in this dream, and the first announcement is, he said, he didn't say Joseph Carpenter, he said Joseph, what, son of David. So, so what he was, what the angel was trying to, I think, get across to him is that, don't sell yourself short, Joseph. You are a part of the bloodline of the king, King David. And this was a part of the prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. And so what he was trying to do with, 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 with Joseph here, I think, is to kind of raise a level of his identity to understand that he was uh, a, a, a perfect choice for God to make to really work his miracle through. So let's go on to verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. There was virtually, from what we can read here, no hesitation whatsoever that Joseph was to follow what he heard in this dream. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have dreams that mean anything. I mean, I I told when I told Lynn this story, you know, when we talked about Joseph's dream, you know, Lynn, my wife has had some dreams that seem to have some reality to it. My dreams mean nothing. I mean, my dreams are so bad, most of the time I dream that I'm preaching in my underwear. That's how bad. (laughs) My dreams are. You talk to a lot of pastors, they have those same kinds of nightmares. Those aren't really dreams, those are nightmares. And I wake up and I think, Thank you, Lord, I've got my clothes on. But so so for me, God doesn't really speak to me at this point through dreams. At least he hasn't up to this point. But in Joseph's life, apparently this was something that God decided to do in his life, and maybe he's done that to you. I know that many Muslims are coming to Christ because they're seeing Jesus and visions of Jesus in dreams. So dreams are, are, are something that often God uses. Well, he used this in Joseph's wife, and for some reason, for Joseph, this was the reality that he needed to make this decision to obey God. And so he immediately gets up when he wakes up, and he goes and does exactly what, God, what the angel tells him to do. But look at verse 25. This is fascinating to me. He said, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So for the next nine months, he remained celibate in the relationship. Why? Because I think Joseph had such great integrity that he was trying to protect the the actual uh, desire of God that she remain a virgin until that moment when Jesus was born. That took a lot of incredible self-discipline and integrity for Joseph to remain celibate in that relationship for the next nine months. Now, I don't know about you. But if I were Joseph at that point, and I knew that I was going to raise the Son of God, you know, some of, we just celebrated an ad- adoption here a couple of Sundays ago, but how would you like to adopt the Son of God? How would you like to be daddy to this perfect kid? I mean, you'd think, well, certainly there'd be no challenge. No, they'd be challenging you, Right? I mean this was an incredible decision that Joseph got into based upon God's uh, the obedience to God that that he was now all of a sudden going to be the daddy to the son of God who was conceived by the Holy Spirit this is crazy And I'm supposed to be his dad I'm supposed to I'm supposed to raise this kid I'm supposed to are you kidding me What an enormous responsibility that he took on willingly and obediently based upon this dream that he had before the Lord. So, Jesus is born, as you know, and um, Joseph had to make some tough decisions after that. And I want to keep following this theme, so I want you to jump over to verse 13. Because we know in chapter 2, because we know that during that period of time, Herod, who was king, and we're going to look at the Christmas story through the eyes of Herod here coming up, but he was totally threatened by the thought that there might be a new king coming into town. And if you remember, he was so threatened that he decides to kill all the babies under two years of age. And so it was really important then for uh, Joseph and his family to get out of town. And so in verse 13, it says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So what does he do? He gets up and takes his mother during the night and they leave for Egypt. Uh, it's fascinating here again that God uses a dream in Joseph's life Again, to reveal to him what he needed to do in terms of his next step. But what I love about Joseph here is that he was, he was, again, being completely obedient to what God had to say. And he knew as the father of his home that he had to do the best thing that he could to protect his family from potential fears and potential loss. And so he moves his family to Egypt. Now we don't know for sure how long Joseph and Mary were in Egypt, but they were probably there for at least a couple of months, perhaps all the way up to a couple of years. Because when they left when they left Bethlehem, uh, Jesus was already about two years old, and, and the wise men had just come, so the wise men visited him at probably when he was 2 years old but he probably spent a few months and a couple of years up to a couple of years in Egypt you wonder how he provided for his family there he, who knows whether he picked up a trade or or you know again and started to do some carpentry work in Egypt to kind of feed his family and so on and so forth but what he did is he removes his family and goes to a foreign country for a period of time until Herod passes away and according to what we know historically Herod passed away very soon after all these children were killed and somehow I see that as God's poetic justice in Herod's life. So then what does he do? If you go on to verse 19, it says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Dream number three. Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life is dead. So Joseph, once again, does what, what he should do as a parent and as a father and as a husband. He gets up, takes the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel, verse 22. But when he heard that Archulus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Now, it would have been probably a better decision for him business-wise to stay in the Jerusalem and Judean area because there was a better, greater population there, and perhaps in his business of carpentry, he probably would have been better off staying in Jerusalem for for, for this family to provide for them. But he realizes that, no, that's not the best place. So they go back to Mary's hometown in Nazareth, right? So verse 21, so he got up, took the child, his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archilus was reigning in Judea, at a place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. So we read about that, and the next time we see Joseph, he's taking Jesus. We know that he took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated a couple of days after his birth. And we also read a little bit about Joseph, not by name, but the fact that he was a parent who left Jesus home alone. That was really home alone one, by the way, when he was (laughs) left in the temple. Remember, he was uh, speaking to uh, and teaching people in the temple at age 12, and his parents decided to leave. And then they thought, where is Jesus? And he said, well, I'm in my father's house. He was home alone. Okay. But after that, we don't, we don't hear of anything more about Joseph. We don't see him at the crucifixion. We don't hear about him when Jesus was growing up beyond age 12. We don't know anything more about this guy. And yet he was a useful instrument of God to be what I would consider an unsung hero. So as I thought about Joseph's life, how can we take his life and how can we superimpose our lives into his life? Because we tried to do this last week with Mary. I wanted to do this this week with Joseph. And so here are what I would consider eight principles that Joseph models to us about being an unsung hero. And you can evaluate your own life as to whether you qualify to be an unsung hero, okay? Here we go. Here's number one. An unsung hero does the right thing no matter what the cost. Joseph, we remember, was a righteous man. His integrity was totally non-negotiable. And even though the risk was incredible to identify with Mary's story, he decides that he better do the right thing. And he did the right thing even before he knew all of the answers to the issues that were facing him. He chose to put her away privately. He could have easily gotten revenge and felt, man, you've betrayed me, Mary. I'm going to make you pay. But he chose to do the right thing, regardless of what it cost him. His own integrity, his own, his own uh, uh, reputation was on the line to do what he needed to do. And are you willing to do the right thing at times when it doesn't matter what it costs? Because you're a righteous person. Here's the second principle that I see that Joseph models to us. An unsung hero will protect the reputation of others. See, Joseph still loved Mary so much, even though he could have, he felt probably betrayed and deeply hurt, deeply wounded when the announcement was made to him that she was pregnant. But in order to protect her reputation, he decides to divorce her privately. It wasn't about him wasn't about what people thought of him. He was more concerned about Mary. That's an amazing decision that he made when you think about it. Because in those days, men had all the trump cards. And so this poor girl could have easily been killed for what she claimed she said. But Joseph decides to protect her reputation. It wasn't about his reputation. Are you the kind of person that's willing to protect the reputation of others? that's an unsung hero. Here's the third thing that I see Joseph say to me. An unsung hero understands his true identity. The reason why I brought up this idea that when the angel came to Joseph and he said, Joseph, son of David, he didn't say, Joseph, you're the carpenter. Joseph, you're this low life. Joseph, you're this blue collar worker. He reminds Joseph of his identity, of his birthright as a member of the house of David. And I really feel like this is really important for us to realize that we too are a member of royal bloodlines, aren't we? It says in 1 Peter 2 chapter verse 9, it says, reminds us that we are a royal priesthood. We are king's kids. We are adopted sons. And I think one of the hardest things for some of us to get because we find our identity in so many different things, in our occupation, in our past, in in, in the things that we feel like are issues in our life that have always been a weakness or whatever. And we find our identity there. But I think God wants to remind us as an unsung hero, no, you're a child of God. You're a king's kid. You're a part of a royal priesthood. You're a part of a royal bloodline. You are a son of God, if you will. A son of God, not the son of God, as you know. You get what I'm saying here? And so it was really important for Joseph to understand that no, yeah, you are a carpenter. Yeah, that's something that you do. But who you are, you're a part of this royal bloodline. Here's the fourth principle that I see here about Joseph. He said, unsung heroes understand when their world is falling apart that God may be having the pieces fall into place. Do you get that? Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like all hell is broken loose in your life? I I remember when we left Wisconsin, I shared a little bit of our story last week, but when we left Wisconsin to come down to Phoenix, we were going through some really hard times. Uh, The church uh, had really been uh, hard on me. And it was just, it was really a tough time. Uh, the criticism and the backlash, uh, if you remember, I called them sheep bites. but well, we were, we were bitten pretty badly and we were really wounded. And in the middle of all of that, Lynn's dad passed away at 61 years old. And all of that just kind of came crashing down on us. And and I thought, you know, my plan was is to really stay up there in Wisconsin. It was kind of a special place for me. And I thought God's going to have us minister there for the rest of our lives. And it was going to be utopic and we're going to have this great time. And and it turned out the whole world crashed on us. In the meantime, God was orchestrating a move to Arizona. I didn't know that. I had no clue that that's exactly what God wanted us to do. And then one day he gave me the scripture that said, make your highway in the desert. So as I was listening to God, I realized that maybe that's what God wanted us to do. And then, you know, here we are 33 years later, seeing God at work over those past 33 years of hundreds of people's lives being transformed. And I would have never dreamed that God had that in mind. But during that period of time, when my whole world was crashing down on us, God was putting some pieces together in our lives. Can you relate to that at all? I I think sometimes unsung heroes understand that. They understand that, you know what? Maybe things look pretty bad right now. But I know God is still in control. He's still sovereign and he's got a plan. And I don't know exactly what Joseph felt, but when certainly the dream paid off, obviously that really helped him solidify what he needed to do. But still, there was going to be controversy and backbiting and gossip in town that he had to deal with, even though he knew exactly what God was trying to do in his life. So unsung heroes understand when their world seems to be falling apart, God may be having the pieces fall actually into place. Kind of interesting how God works. Here's number five. When unsung heroes hear a command from God, they do not hesitate to obey. When you really hear something from God, by golly, an unsung hero does it, period, without a lot of hesitation. And when God spoke to me back there where it said, make your highway in the desert, we started to explore right away what God might have for us in Arizona or New Mexico in our lives. See, when God speaks... And when God spoke to him in a dream, he didn't hesitate. He got up and did exactly what God wanted him to do. Now, I think that's what an unsung hero does. When he hears from the Lord, he does it. And I don't know if you are the kind of person that says, you know, I, I kind of know what God wants me to do, but ah, you know, I've got too much pride here. I'm a little stubborn. Now, I'm, I'm not sure that's exactly what I should be doing. And you kind of run away from God. Well, an unsung hero says, wait a minute. No, if God's speaking to you, boy, you better get, get on board with it. That's what an unsung hero does. Here's the sixth one. Unsung heroes can be trusted to handle the most challenging tasks. Why did God choose Joseph? I, you know, I, I don't know. Obviously, part of it is because he was a part of the bloodline of, of David. And, and according to prophecy, both he and Mary needed to be a part of the bloodline of David. So that makes sense. I understand that. But, but when you see Joseph was this righteous man, this, this guy that, that had all this integrity, what I saw by him being chosen, that God said, you know what, Joseph, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you to do the job here. I trust you that you're going to raise my son as an adopted father. I trust you. And it was really going to be a challenging task, as i already said. How would you like to raise the Son of God in your house? How would you like to have the perfect kid? Now, I know some of you think you have one, but, but this was a perfect kid. Unsung heroes can be trusted to handle sometimes the most challenging tasks in life. I think about Joseph of Arimathea, who I spoke about a little bit earlier. Here he was, sort of a secret disciple, but nonetheless, when the chips were down, who took that body down from the cross? It was Joseph I believe that God trusted him with that challenging task. Here's number seven. Unsung heroes make sure their family has security in their home. Now, granted, God warned him periodically about what he needed to do and what he didn't need to do. But the point is, is that what Joseph did as the leader of his family and the leader of his home, he wanted to provide the most secure environment for that child to be raised in a place of safety. And I think as leaders, as men and as women as families, our homes need to be a place of security. And by and large, the most unsung heroes today are moms and dads who get that, where their kids feel secure and feel safe and feel protected and feel loved and validated and secure. And that's one of the things that Joseph tried to do for his family. Whether it was in Egypt or Nazareth, he was going to do what was best for his family to make sure that they were secure. Well, Joseph was truly an unsung hero in my, my book. As I shared earlier, he was never mentioned by name other than the scriptures that we just read. And so he didn't get a lot of press in scripture, did he? And we don't hear about him. Even when Jesus was crucified, we only know that Mary was at the cross. We don't know if Joseph died. We don't, we don't know what, what the deal was. We don't know if he was... We, we have no idea beyond what we know from what scripture reads to us. But I do know this, and this is number eight, that unsung heroes don't need the earthly recognition because they know that that God has noticed. You, you know, there are times have, have, you ever felt this way where you've really put yourself out? You've, you know, you've really served quietly behind the scenes You've done so many things as a parent or as a mom or as a dad. And and you don't get a lot of press. You don't get a lot of those attaboys. You don't get a lot of that. And I, I have a sense that with Joseph, he didn't need the press. He was just a faithful, righteous guy who was a good carpenter, who taught his son how to be a carpenter and did his job quietly and faithfully. And I got to believe that Joseph somehow, someway knew that even though the world didn't know who this guy was, God knew and God knows. And I think it's important for us to realize that no matter what we do, when we do things unselfishly for the Lord, when the whole world doesn't give a rip about what we've done, God notices. God does. And when you feel like You're feeling sorry for yourself and whining about the fact that, how come I don't get any of those attaboys? How come I don't get a little press? How come, come, you know, I worked so hard, and it doesn't seem like anybody really cares or really notices, but he does, amen? And he's the one that will give us that ultimate reward for our faithfulness in heaven, amen? That's what it's all about. It's not about what people notice. It's about what he notices. That's what it's about. So, you know, I always do this to you. Let me close with a couple of questions. Uh, These are some things that I wrestled with. So, you know, forgive me if, uh, you know, a lot of people say sometimes when I preach, I'm in your living room because I'm in my living room. Okay. So let me just ask this question. When you have felt betrayed by someone, what was your response? That little video there where she said she was pregnant. I'm sure Joseph felt betrayed. There's been times in your life, you know you've been betrayed. You, you feel like you got the wrong end of the deal. You got hurt. You got beat up by somebody. What, what has been your response and what is your response? Is it revenge? Is it, you know, I'll get, I'll get even or was it like Joseph, you know, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to take the high road here. Here's a second question. Can, can you share a time in your own life when you felt like your world was falling apart and now you can look back and see how God was putting all the pieces together? See, if we don't remember those things, we can sure get bound up, can't we? Can we get bound up in the circumstances that are around us? But to know again that God has got it all under control, is that cool or what? What? Here's the last thing. Where do you find your identity? Do I find my identity in a, in a pastor, as a pastor or as a preacher? Do you find your identity as a retiree? Do you find your identity in your job as a parent? You see, our identity is in Jesus, right? Right? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, old things have passed away and all things have become new. We're a part of a royal bloodline, folks. And we need to remember that. Because Satan will do everything he can to create a, a false identity. So where where is your identity? Have you got it figured out? It's taken me a lot of years and I'm still trying to figure it all out to really understand and comprehend who am I in Christ? I mean, really, because we try to find our identity and our performance and all the things that people try to put on us. But where is your identity? Well, I believe, like I said when I started this message this morning, that we have a whole bucket load of unsung heroes sitting here this morning. I trust you qualify. Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning thanking you for a young guy like Joseph who had a real challenge in his life. I thank you for a guy, a young guy, who took on that challenge because he was a righteous guy and he wanted to do the right thing. And when you spoke to him, he was obedient. Praise God for a guy like Joseph who in time and space did something that went probably unheralded and even probably received a lot of ridicule and gossip about but he did the right thing. But God, it didn't go unnoticed by you. Help us to remember that, that you're the one. You're the one that all that really matters. And you love us no matter what. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.propodcast.com. PrescottCornerstone.com.